Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. have a setting weirdly on zoom where people are <laughs> muted and the camera's off when they join but we can see you and what's going on and we can we made it happen yeah. yes first of all uh, my my you know sincere apologies for, for the uh the mess around here i thought it was tomorrow so i was yeah out running and then deb's messaged me and she was like are we doing it i was like oh my god it's today so i'm still a bit sweaty from the run but i'm excited to have you both on the show I don't think I've ever, um, I've done 300 episodes of the show. I've been doing it seven years. I've never had two guests from different projects on at the same time before ever. Uh, (laughs) So this is, this is new ground for me and it's very exciting to have you both on the connection. The link will get to you momentarily, but I want to begin by talking to you both about Wacken um, because there's, there's some kind of nice, there's some nice synergy there. So Debs, I'll go to you first. So Marty, Debbie is from Birmingham, as am I. Um, we have several mutual friends, but we had never met until our flight back from Wacken, where we were randomly sat next to each other. And uh, I'd mistaken her uh, bandmate, Jake, for a Metal Hammer writer, and I kept calling him Rich. I was like, hey, Rich. And Debs very kindly was like, that's not his name. He's in my <laughs> band. His name's Jake. And she kind of corrected me. And then then we got to chatting and you know realized we were both from the same place. and. Yeah, it was a really lovely way to meet. So as soon as the opportunity to do this interview with the pair of you came up, I was like, this is the universe kind of bringing everything together because, Marty, you were also at Wacken uh, performing with your old band, Megadeth, which was quite the thrill. Um, Did you get to catch that, Debbie, or were you sort of busy doing your thing at that point in time? 
really, really, really sadly, we were on opposite days, which was oh. a real, real, real shame. Um, I can't remember which day we played, but I know that it wasn't your day, sadly. We were really upset about that. <laughs> well, you would have been on the final day because we caught the same flight yeah. home together. And I guess you would have been on the Saturday then, Marty, or the Friday. I was on two days. I played uh, with my old band and I played with my new band. So I was on, I for, yeah, I've forgotten which was first. So much has happened since then, but uh, I was on two days and um, I didn't get to see Debbie's band either. So you know how it is. It was, would have been nice. Would have been nice. But um, yeah, it was well, good fun. Good there's festival, still plenty anyway. of time. I'm sure you'll be sharing a yeah. bill soon enough. So, um, yeah, so just very quickly on that show. So that was, was that the second time um, you and David had reconnected on stage? The first being earlier this year in japan yeah that's right um the first one was the budokan and um that was really the only one we were just planning to do one and just have it be real special but then when we both found out that we were both playing wacken on the same exact time it was like how can we not do it so uh we did it and it was uh you know great fun and really really cool yeah, it was a treat. It was a real treat. And as soon as that hair came out on stage, there's no mistaking. I was like, yes, it's Marty. He's back. <laughs> yeah. So let's yeah, let's get cool. into guitars. Uh, that's sort of why we're here. We'll, we'll sort of go, I think, in various different you know, avenues and alleyways as the conversation unfolds. But let's begin with guitars. And I guess the influences early on, the people that inspired both of you to pick up the instrument and begin forging your own path. Debs, we'll go to you first. Do you remember a specific player um, or a specific moment when you were either watching a band or hearing a song and you were like, ah, I think I want to do that. <laughs> uh, I speak about it quite a lot, but the biggest guitar influence for me is definitely Mark Morton from Lamb of God. Uh, I love the way he makes riffs. Um, I, he has an amazing ability to make his riffs uniquely his own. Like You always know when you're listening to a Lamb of God song and especially when he's playing, even even with his solo stuff, I think even if you weren't aware that it was um, Mark Morton's solo project, you'd probably know that it was him from from his playing. Um, Ghost Walking was the first song that I listened to by Lamb of God, and that intro riff just had me hooked on Thrash Forevermore. Uh, that's that's um, a big um, staple point for me in my history of playing guitar. I guess before that, when I was quite young, I was really into Jabba and Amasa, uh, which is maybe a little bit uh, far away from what the music I'm playing now, but um, his blues playing was incredible. And, and that kind of set me off on the journey of playing guitar, um, you know, all together to begin with. He was definitely the initial influence for me to want to pick up that instrument. What have you got anything to say off the back of that, Mike? Because with this conversation, what I'd like to do a lot is kind of just connect you two up and get you talking and, and you know, waxing lyrical on the instrument because I think it's my job in a situation like this to sort of set it up and then step back. But, um, you know, talking about thrash there, obviously, you know, a thing or two about that. And, and, uh, and Joe Bonamassa, is he somebody who has, you know, been in your orbit as somebody that you've sort of paid attention to and, and been impressed by? I've definitely been impressed by Joe and, uh, I think uh, Debbie sums it up when she says that, uh, you know, when she heard Lamb of God, she just went on the thrash path. But Joe Bonamassa is a big influence on her. And that kind of like shows you 
that someone is like on their way to being an artist or be, is an artist. Um, because if you listen to her music, it doesn't really sound too much like either of those. You know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Like we get these influences <laughs> from all these all over the place. And we really, really love these influences. But then those influences were just kind of a catalyst to get us in the game and do our own thing. And I totally see that in Debbie's case, for sure. Uh, I think that's the interesting thing about guitar, because there's so many different avenues that you could go down. There's so many different possibilities. And within context of your own band, I think it's sometimes hard to go down every single route of those influences. So you have to just kind of draw from inspiration when it's relevant to your own like kind of path. So like you said, I mean, I, I don't sound like Joe Massa at all. And I also don't sound anything like Mark Morton, but those those like paths have definitely set me on trying to make my own sound and how I want to like approach playing guitar. Um, which is cool because then I guess you get um, you're inspired to make things that don't don't sound exactly as you've heard them initially. I think that's how you get original music, right? Is everybody is the sum of their influences. Nobody is uninfluenced by anything, and so it's kind of just it's the amalgamation of your specific influences that create this thing that's new because it's the sum of those parts. And that's with all things, you know, that's not just guitarists, but that's drummers, singers, songwriters. I think at some point it goes kind of beyond that. I think when you're beginning, it's kind of a sum of those parts that you're influenced by. But at some point you're kind of like, well, I'm mixing up these people that I like, but now what is it exactly that I'm doing this for? What, what exactly do I want people to hear when my name comes up? And you know what I mean? Sometimes if the influence is too, like if you hear this person, it's like you can tell immediately this guy was really into Van Halen or immediately into this other guy. That's just kind of all the less of what that person's own thing is. You know, it's very easy to kind of become a sum of all the parts of your favorite musicians. But I think at some point, even when you develop all these techniques of all these other people, you kind of have to like, kind of rise over that to make yourself stand out as something new and um sometimes it's easier to just do that anyway because some of our heroes are doing things that are so incredibly difficult that <laughs> just by trying what they do and fucking that up you get your own <laughs> out of it you know that that's how it was for me sure and maybe debbie as well you know oh, you just sure. try these things that are impossible and then along the way, something cool comes out of it. For sure. I definitely relate to that. <laughs> I definitely can't play in the same way as my heroes at all. But I think I tell myself, I'm like, I don't have to play like them. I'm doing my own thing. And really, I just can't play like them. <laughs> Do you both well, remember the story. moment when you found your own <laughs> voice? where you felt like, ah, okay, I think I'm onto something that's me here. Do you, do you remember a moment where you both individually stumbled upon whether it was a riff or whether it was a full song and you were like, this is me now, this is kind of my statement of intent and I feel like my voice inside is coming out? That's a good question because when I first started, I was definitely a sum of my parts. Um, I think I started to realize this was me when other people started recognizing it. 
and starting you do interviews and stuff and people see you and people comment about your music and write about it and then you start to see what people are picking up on on my music as being my own and the more that happened the less i felt pressure to try to mimic my heroes you know i mm -hmm. think a lot of people get in the trap of being frustrated and depressed that they can't mimic their heroes as well as they'd like and that's very very disencouraging to uh discouraging is the word um it's very discouraging to like try something and fail at it so rather than being discouraged by that trying to um find little gems in the things that you've come across by mistake is a much more rewarding process and then you'll start to stop being pissed at yourself for not being able to copy alan holdsworth or whatever i remember when alan holdsworth started to get popular and i tried to copy that i'm like i'm never ever going to be able to play like this so what's the point of continuing playing <laughs> because i can never ever do that and then i wasn't long till i realized that i don't have to do that at all and once you come to that realization then kind of everything frees up and then you're just okay how do i just make my own thing better how do i make my own thing better i don't have to play like holdsworth i never will anyway so i think that's an important point that uh most people are fortunate to get to when they're making albums and stuff like that because you can't just walk around being pissed at yourself that you can't do what your heroes are doing at some point you just have to uh make yourself what other people would like to be like you know and they don't really know all of our weaknesses and things like that i think that's so interesting hearing you of all people say that to be honest marty being the absolute guitar hero that you are but also I, I definitely relate to that i def especially with this jackson campaign that we were both on i knew that i i'm not a guitarist that sounds like yourself or misha mansoor or clint or dave i know that i i don't play in that way and going into it i was i was almost a little bit afraid to have been like oh i know that i'm not going to be sweet picking all over the joint i know that that's like not like how i particularly play guitar uh, and then I guess I like what you're saying. I kind of had this bit of a well, this is what I do, and it, it doesn't really matter if if uh, it's different to the rest of you guys because that's what we're here to do is is be a little bit contrasting to each other with our approach to playing. Um, but I think it's a nice like release that you have when you finally reach that point that that you're like, okay, well, I don't think I'm going to be sweet picking everywhere all the time because i i've realized that that's not um like my strength and it probably never will be and it's a nice relief to to come to that realization that you don't have to be absolutely amazing at every single technique and that probably your heroes have things that they don't that they don't want to rely on with that regard as well yeah, Do you I mean, remember the moment for you, Deb, when you were like, this is me, this is my voice. I found my style. I've, I've stumbled upon something that's distinctive and original here to me. I, th I think because Harriet is still very much in that infancy of, of um, making our own sound and, and having something to try and claim as our own, 
but I, th- I think to be quite honest I feel as though I'm closer to that vocally than I am with guitar um I'm finding that maybe the the clean parts in our songs are, are, are becoming a little bit more recognizable as Harriet which is a lovely thing and a total accident to happen but um in regard to playing guitar a a few years ago I stumbled on doing kind of like the two-hand harmonic thing where you catch a harmonic with your right hand going down the neck definitely not unique to me but I feel as though not a lot of people are doing doing that lately um and when I seem to do that people it looks more impressive than maybe what it is but I do like that um, people ask me how to do that. <laughs> That's my little claim. That's the one thing that I'd be like, oh, I do, I do like uh, that I've managed to shoehorn that in. Passing on the information, passing on the information <laughs> to the generations. <laughs> that would Somebody's got to keep thing. that thing alive. It's up to you to keep that thing alive. I hope so. I hope so. I keep trying to get it in more and I'm like, there's only a certain amount of times that I can do this before it becomes a bit of a gimmick. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm clinging <laughs> on to it. I'm clinging on to it. <laughs> Keep it alive. <laughs> what about yourself, Mike? Have you got any tricks up your sleeve that are your go-to sort of, you know, maneuvers that you like to pull out from time to time, but not too, not too often? <laughs> I'm not a tricks guy, believe it or not. Um, I kind of avoid, although I do like the thing that she's talking about with your finger, with your hand sweeping up, up the neck. And that's a classic. Um, (laughs) I don't do it, but that's one that I like. I've been like one of the guys, you know, I think the the longer you play, the more you find you have these rules that even you don't want to break yourself. And one thing you'll never see me do is play with my teeth. You'll never see me play with the guitar behind my head. You'll never see that happen. You'll never see uh, you'll never see me swing the guitar around on a strap. <laughs> you'll never see that happen. Uh, and actually, you'll never even see me do the right hand tapping thing. Um, uh, not only because I suck at it, which I do, I'm but it just I just sure don't, don't find it. I don't find it. There's never been a point in something I'm playing where, you know, I think I need to do this now. I, I never felt like I needed it. Never felt like I. That's what I wanted to hear. So I kind of stray away from those things. But um, yeah, I don't really have any go tos. I guess um, I'm just always searching for a new melody rather than trying to uh, repeat something I've always done. I guess that's what I'm always doing. Always trying to you know, trick myself into doing something I've never done before with a melody or something like that. Watching you play on that shoot was just oh amazing because everybody was totally mesmerized by the way that you phrased solos. And I hadn't heard your solo before we were actually on shoot. So I was hearing it in like real time and I was like, oh my gosh, your phrasing is just oh fantastic. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think everybody was just fantastic on that shoot. It was just really everybody, everybody brought their A game. <laughs> of course, the guitarists, but like everybody on the whole team was just bringing their A game to everything. So that made all five of us. Nobody wanted to like do anything that wasn't their best. And it shows <laughs> in the video, you know, everybody, you know, was so on it. 
every there was no detail left out in that thing for sure for sure it it was a really crazy experience to to be like that uh immersed in like guitar playing and there that sounds really cheesy but i really felt overwhelmed with like being inspired by how everybody else plays because every single person on that shoot had a totally different like interpretation of how to play guitar and it really took me back to like first playing guitar and discovering all, all these different influences and and just being overwhelmed by how much you love it and know that that sounds so cheesy but it was so true during that weekend I really felt like a new buzz of being excited about playing guitar not that I've ever lost it at all but it was just lovely to have like almost like a second wave of feeling like I was playing guitar for the first time and like soaking up everybody's uh like energy <laughs> sorry that I can't think of a better word than that but it was really true it was it was so inspiring to to be so immersed in that nothing cheesy about that at all I mean you know, <laughs> people are lucky when they get that second wind in music mm. you know especially you know once you start getting into recording and touring all the time it mm -hmm. becomes completely all-encompassing and your whole yeah. life revolves around it. So mm -hmm. getting those, every once in a while, things happen that really excite you like that. And then you can like kind of really live off that for a while and yeah. keep going and keep going. And another thing happens like that. So uh, nothing cheesy about that. We're lucky when those things happen. Just little little gems. I think you're really right about like feeling as though you're, Sometimes you get used to being surrounded by music. I'm sure that everybody in this call is probably the same. And you forget, or I personally forget, that there's like a world outside of music because I'm in it all the time. And sometimes when you're removed from that a little bit and you can almost see it with fresh eyes again, I get these amazing moments where I'm like, oh my God, this really is so incredible. And I'm always aware of that, just how lucky I am to be able to have the opportunities that we do but the it's it's so great to me when you remove from it a little bit and something amazing happens and you just like you say you get that high from it for like I'm still on the high from that shoot and that was in like June and we're in September now <laughs> sincerely absolutely sincerely as well I really am <laughs> well the campaign you're talking about is the virtuoso Jackson model um let's go in on that specific model itself and 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 obviously you know jackson guitars marty have you always been a jackson guy or for as long as <laughs> it, it matters well, i've had a long history with jackson um had two signature models put out by them and uh working on a third one and i've had signature models with other companies in the interim um i was big jackson guy um, for like 10 years and then I uh, went to a couple other companies while I was with the other companies I was still very close with the people at Jackson and that just spoke volumes about the person the people behind the companies you know they were just always checking up what are you doing let, let me know if we can help and what's going on come out see me at shows I'm with a complete other company but it becomes personal at this point because we've always had a wonderful relationship and then when it came time that I was free to, uh, you know, look around for other companies again, Jackson was right there and they had just the best idea for the best guitar ever, which is, is my signature guitar now. And uh, I just think it's uh, just a wonderful relationship and the company just keeps 
getting better and better and the products are just sicker and sicker and and I'm just really glad to be a part of it and this video here is just like it, I've never seen anything like this I could be wrong but I don't really see any other guitar companies doing anything this extravagant um it's like this, a heavy metal uh, gap video <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so yeah, fun it looks yeah. like you're having so much fun as you say, you don't see that often in, in this style of music. And it's it's okay to lean in on the fun aspect that it's fun to make this kind of music. And so let's celebrate that. That's great. I mean, I hope that like super hardcore metal fans don't take that as a negative. But I, I think that's awesome. I mean, what yeah. it means is this cool music that we're playing, thanks to companies like Jackson, are bringing it into like a mainstream a mainstream uh, venue, so to speak. So uh, that's what we all dreamed about as little kids. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. we just wanted metal to be heard as much as possible. And it's been underground in so many levels, so so many years. And now that we've got people saying that we've made a metal commercial that's like a Gap commercial, <laughs> I think we're succeeding. That's, for me, that's a big deal. What about you, Deb? What's your history with Jackson and, and you know, your uh, kind of enjoyment of the specific model that we're talking about here and, and the guitar, um, you know, well, how yeah. it lends itself to your style? And... For sure. I had my first Jackson when I was 14 uh, and my lovely dad had got it me, but it was a Floyd Rose and I'd never used a Floyd Rose before in my life. So I was like struggling so much when I initially had it because obviously you've got the, the locking system with it, which is totally laughable now that uh, the only guitars that I play have Floyds on them. Um, but yeah, growing up, all my favorite guitarists are using Jackson. So I was really, really, really excited to have my own. And I put it as uh, my email picture, which is still the same picture of that guitar. If you email me, my uh, Jackson Dinky comes up, which is funny. And I should change it, but I haven't yet. <laughs> um, so, yes, that, I I'd played those um, guitars for years. And then uh, a few years ago, I think maybe three years ago, just after the pandemic, I started working with them. Um and what's that like when you kind of get to work with a guitar company for the first time you know as somebody who's seen other people get these endorsements and signature models and deals and then you're given one like what what's that feeling like i feel like anybody who knows me will start sighing if they do listen to this but i'll be totally <laughs> truthful i just started crying when the email oh. came through <laughs> and i was at my old work and i just went to the toilet and had a little cry and rang my dad <laughs> that's lovely <laughs> um and uh with this whole virtuoso campaign tim had come who handles um a &R for the uk and europe amazing guy absolutely love him uh he'd come out to a show and was like hey we're thinking about doing this campaign and i was kind of like oh that sounds cool and uh, as the other guys would know there was, there was like three days that was floating around that we could do it in and those three days were the three days off and a European uh, month-long tour for Harriet. So I didn't really think that it was going to happen because I was like, well, I'm in Europe. Like, I don't, I don't, I was like, oh, that would be lovely. But I didn't really think that it would happen. And then they were like, okay, well, th these are your three days off on this tour, right? Okay, it's going to happen. 
So I flew straight from, I know we drove from uh, Grass Park, went to the airport, flew to LA, did the shoot and then was back on tour. But I really didn't think that it was ever going to happen, like my involvement was ever going to happen because it just seemed so crazy. Um, but yeah, didn't really believe that it was going to happen. It did. It was fantastic. The guitar is incredible. It's one of the best guitars I've ever owned, ever. Um, only really recently have I owned my first ever American guitars. I've never had a guitar that um, was of that quality. Um, so that was a really cool moment for me to not only be able to own an American-made guitar, but to be able to be a part of that campaign was um, out of this world for me. <laughs> I've always had Indonesian guitars, <laughs> nothing wrong with those at all, but it was just a real, real big change um, for me to own a guitar like that. Um, it plays amazing. Uh, the neck is fantastic. Tonally, it's outrageous. It's so hot. The pickups are so, so hot. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, we just started playing shows again and I've used my guitar, my new Virtuoso for those shows. It's been fantastic. Everybody's talking about the tune instability as well. And it didn't let me down at all for those shows, which I was really, really excited about. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very, very stoked to uh, be an owner of a Virtuoso model. <laughs> Long way to say that. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Not at all. There's no rush. There's no time limit. Um, do you keep up much, Marty, with the kind of current landscape of, of metal music in the UK? And indeed in the US, because I know you've been living in Japan for, for many years now and you're very involved in the music scene over there. Hopefully we can you know, touch on that in a little while as well. But are you somebody who keeps you know, his eye on what's going on in, in modern day kind of Western metal music? Or are you at this stage much more you know, interested and inspired and, and kind of you know, committed to, to the Asian metal scene? And if so, what's that like? Oh, it- I'm always, um, my ears are always open, but like sometimes you get so incredibly busy at that the only kind of information that comes from the US or UK is what kind of gets forced in that you finally hear about it. But unfortunately, I just don't have the time to like go searching for what's going on back home in America or in the UK. So if it makes it, to japan somehow then i'll probably hear about it or like in the case of going to la to do the shoot for jackson i'm there for like four days or whatever and i'm hearing about what's going on and i'm in kind of like jackson world and we got debbie and we got dave and misha and all these people that are in that world so just catching up with all of my friends over there i hear about what's going on but for me really the japan music scene that I'm involved with is kind of so all encompassing that it's almost like a bubble, you know, there's not really a whole lot of Western music that really makes it to Japan as one might think it's very, very much domestically controlled music market. So uh, I'm really not as familiar with what's going on in the UK or America as, as one might think. And stylistically over there, uh, what what have you noticed as the obvious kind of like differences in terms of playing and because it's it's a fascinating musical culture for me i had um yashiki from the band x japan on the show uh, a few years oh. ago now uh, and you know obviously they are the gods 
of that world but like uh, as a westerner who's who's now over there you obviously kind of you can see it from both sides what are the the styles and influences that you've noted have you know perhaps translated from the west over there and then what's uniquely distinct to that part of the world that's a really good question and uh i think yoshiki is a very good example of what i'm going to kind of bring up um lovely lovely man as yoshiki. well lovely man yeah great guy and um I've worked with him several times and I'm a huge fan of his. Um, what I'd like to say about what he kind of opened my eyes up to a long time ago was the fact that you could have this blistering, blistering metal right on the same album with like some really, really sappy ballads. Mm -hmm. And I just happened to like both of those things, which is very rare for a metal fan. You know, at least I think a lot of metal fans do like these sappy battle ballads, but I don't think they admit it that much <laughs> and definitely don't go out of their way to like buy things like that and, and talk about it. But in Japan, like in Yoshiki's music, in X Japan especially, you might hear just this blistering, blistering, brutal metal song and then a song that sounds like, I don't know who would be a good example of a, uh, just a really, really sappy ballad. Like Celine but, uh, Dion, something like that, yeah? Well, st stylish, stylistically different, but like that's the point that I'm trying to make. Mm -hmm. All on the same album, you know what I mean? So I'm like, who can listen to these both contradicting styles? And it turns out that Japanese people are wired that way. They are very non-genrefied, so to speak. So if they like the song, they like the song. And this is reflected not only from the time when X Japan was like at their biggest peak, but even currently now, if you look on the charts, unlike America, it's all like one style and probably UK is similar. But in Japan, there's if you look at the top of the charts, there's songs with heavy guitar in it. There's very, very progressive songs with difficult time signatures and strange key changes weird rhythms and there's also just the most poppiest poppiest candiest ballads and up-tempo idol pop it all lives in the same place and as a fan of music i just can't get enough of it because i just i don't like to limit anything if i like the music it doesn't matter what genre it's in and i just love that attitude towards music and i think that's probably why i feel so natural and fit in in japan so well because when i grew up in america it's like oh you're a metal fan it's got to be this 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 and this mm -hmm. and as soon as a band breaks a little bit out of that they've sold out fuck those guys you know and i was never like that as a as a music fan and as especially as a music creator uh mm -hmm. as an artist producer and even just a guitar player i don't want to be limited by what some people call a genre and so Japan is very um, open in that in that way. Um, so I think that's the main difference. And um, Yoshiki and X Japan is is a good place. It's a good uh, entrance gateway, so to speak, for people who want to find out what's kind of happening now in Japan, because a lot of it's kind of based on what X Japan was. It's very melodic, and yet it has very very heavy contrasting loud parts and very uh 
like Debbie was saying in her song, the quiet, quiet parts get a lot of attention. So a lot of the contrast between the heaviness and the quietness is what X Japan has done for a long time. And then the music that's currently on the top of the charts is very much like that with wide contrast and drastic progressive changes and kind of really intelligent arrangements and things like that. So, uh, yeah, that's it's also a long answer, but uh, those are the main differences. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I mean, uh, there's a lot of information in Japanese music. And for me, I can't really understand how young people in their early teens are accepting all of this data and information because it's quite complex. Um, and there's not a lot of data in American top top of the charts. You know, it's it's kind of maybe three, four chords over and over and maybe a rap and stuff like there's not a lot of musical information happening um but the good thing about america and uk is, is that just because heavy metal and hard rock is not in the top of the charts it's still very much alive and well on the touring circuit and on the festivals and just in life in real life in concerts but i i think I, the record buying public in those countries is different from the record buying public in japan in that regard Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, put us in the picture of the UK scene at the moment, Debs, because for me, when I started working on Kerrang! Radio in around 2010, the scene... I think in, in America and the UK, but especially in the UK, was kind of on its ass and it felt like it was dying a bit. Um, and in the last maybe five years, perhaps a few more, but certainly in the last few years, the scene in the UK is so vibrant now. And you look at bands like While She Sleeps just headlining Ali Pali the other night. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just there's so much exciting stuff happening in, in UK rock and UK metal and hardcore and alternative at the moment. Um, what's it like being so entrenched in that scene and, you know, at the forefront of 
this whole new movement of exciting young bands coming up? Does it feel like a good and healthy and thriving time for UK guitar music at the moment? I think so, for sure. And I think kind of like what Marty was uh, just saying about there being so many different um, sources of information to take from music. I know that you were speaking of it in a mainstream kind of platform, but I think within context of metal, people are really branching out in the UK scene to find different um, elements to kind of claim as a own, whether it's different time signatures, whether it's from a production point of view, vocally. I think we're really reaching a point where bands aren't just falling under the metal genre, they're making their own version of metal, especially within the UK. Um, I mean, we when um, we were together, we were speaking about Sleep Token, Marty, and how cool that kind of new invention of metal is because it's quite it's quite polished but it's by no means traditionally like commercial and yet it's managed to slip through that net of being accessible to a lot of different people and i think even though some metal heads will be traditionalists and be like well you know i'm not listening to sleep token because everybody does that the music that they make is is really really interesting whether you're a fan of metal or or maybe more influenced by mainstream music the blend of those two worlds is so cool and i think it's amazing that through bands like sleep token we're able to introduce the concept of heavy music and metal to people who might not necessarily find that otherwise for me i, I always think it's great when any band that's heavy gains publicity outside of our kind of trenches of metal and heavy music because who doesn't want to spread the word? Who doesn't want to, you know, see metal rise and become a bigger thing and for us for us all to become more inspired by how many new people will put be introduced to the drummer and put their own spin on it? And I think the UK is really um, making such an, a good example of how this can happen to our style of music. Um yeah, I mean, I know that I've just kind of mentioned this before quite a lot recently, but I really think bands just have their own identity within the UK scene at the in the minute, from from the branding of them and the artwork and the imagery right down to the music. I think everybody has completely their own thing going on, and people are maybe more fatigued by just traditional straight up abc metal and people are wanting to break out of that at the moment which is amazing because i sometimes become fatigued by just listening to predictable songs all the time it's it's really encouraging and inspiring to be surrounded by musicians who are putting their own take on things amen marty's nodding his head in firm agreement <laughs> yeah i mean uh, the thing that that really strikes it right on the head is um, Sleep Token is doing it and there's tons of this is something that's gone on in Japan for many many years but it's just starting to happen outside of Japan whereas people are introducing the elements of heavy metal like the noisy loud distorted guitars into the mainstream and that's just brutal because now we're getting all these mainstream folks and we're like slipping them like you know, it's like putting a drug in their drink or something, yeah. you know, it's like <laughs> you guys to listen to metal somehow. <laughs> and we're, that's kind of like spirit behind that is just so cool. 
-hmm. you know it's like injecting these mainstream bastards with metal (laughs) you know the nothing metal than that it's easy to like preach to the converted and play for metal fans yeah but like when you got down like sleep token people who never heard of metal before never heard that distorted sound very much mm-hmm. now for whatever reason they've found something about that that they like and then they're going to go on to a whole new path that's going to yes. include the sounds that we grew up loving they're going to find they're going to find lamb of god and say oh my god it's it's this is heavy this guitar sound is just as distorted as sleep token but they're more mm-hmm. like relentless you know with their riffs and stuff and it's just all like growing from that, you know? So instead of seeing metal die because it kind of stagnated into predictable mm-hmm. metal joke kind of themes, people are doing more and more innovative things with it. And that uh, is kind of saving the sound. Yeah, let's face it. I mean, it's the sound that we all love. We all love that guitar, loud guitar with distortion and just thick, fat guitar sounds. Um, that's the sound and what we do with that sound is like up to all the different artists out there Mm -hmm. so as long as artists continue to do creative things with that sound you know you might not call it metal anymore but that's the sound that we love you know I I think that distorted sound is something that uh, will always be an important uh, element for for me anyway. I think it's really cool how you kind of touched on like the possibility of metal dying because a lot of people be like no metal will never die but you have to maintain that interest and almost that like relevancy to what's going on in the bigger picture of music i think it's so cool to see what sticks for people who aren't into this kind of music normally i think it's really interesting to hear what clicks for people and their like initial i don't know initial baptizing into metal i think is really cool to to watch that happen in real time and why wouldn't we want our community to like continue growing and to have more success Uh, i i understand people wanting metal to still have the same ethics and the same community vibe around it but i don't ever really see that leaving metal i think that ethos is still there within it within most bands that are heavy um I just think it's a really cool um, opportunity to be a part of watching the genre grow and and have its own like 2020 version. You know, we've got like 90s metal and like 80s metal and it's nice to to feel as though you're included in a time where metal is evolving again. Definitely. And as I said, there wasn't too much happening, I feel like, in the sort of the 10s, the teens. I feel like mm-hmm. that was a bit of a lull and I think all music is, you know, cyclical and peaks and troughs. And mm-hmm. I guess from your point of view, Marty, as somebody who's been in the game a while, what about the industry itself, not just metal, but music, um, you know, in terms of like how it's made, how it's consumed, how people live from making music now, as opposed to in the, you know, the glory days when platinum CD sales were, you know, commonplace. Now, obviously the landscape's very different. I wonder if you could shed some light on how you've seen, you know, certain changes affect things and the reality of, of, you know, being in a professional full-time band in 2023, as opposed to in, you know, 1983, is it much harder? Is it just different? And, and there's, you know, more ways to make money, but you've got to be more creative with it. Like what's, 
what's the current landscape now compared to what it was like in you know the days when you were coming up and doing Megadeth and all that stuff? I'm kind of an exception to the rule, I think, because of everything I'm in, I'm doing in Japan. But to give you a general answer, of course, there's um, pluses and minuses, as the British say, roundabouts in the swings. Do they still say that? Swings and roundabouts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, swings yeah. and roundabouts are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, swings and roundabouts. If I say that in America, no one knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> this 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 happens from living with an English tour manager for a million decades. So, swings. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the thing is, you know, some people say, you know, we're a T-shirt company that makes music. Mm. You know, um, because is definitely a thing that you have to make money outside of the publishing and royalties and those type of monies. You, if you're a band, you have to uh, rely on doing things like merchandising yourself well and um, the whole VIP meet and greet thing is like uh, that's what's keeping a lot of bands alive. And like, you know, back in the real old days, Kiss was doing this stuff a million years ago and they mastered it a million Gene's years ago. the king ago. of merchandise, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they mastered this years ago and everybody said, you guys are terrible. You guys are just awful. It's not music. It's your guys are, it's a business. It's a business. Who knew that like 30, 40 years later, Mm -hmm. That's what everybody was having to do just to survive enough to yeah. make their music. So they created this template and, you know, was selling your guitars after the shows and and all of these things that like as an actual musician or artist, you kind of cringe when you're doing it because you just want to play music, make money and go home. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But the reality is you got to have cool merch you got to have cool, we say in Japanese, plus alpha. I don't know what that means in English, but um, bonus things, you know, like the VIP meet and greet, special seating for people, people coming to your sound checks, um, all kinds of special bonuses. You know, you got to give back rubs to your fans. You know, it's like really crazy <laughs> nowadays, you know, and um, it's everything but the music. But all of those things are what allow you to make your own music your own way mm -hmm. um because the business model of making music is such that if you are not a mainstream pop act you're probably going to make more money from things that are outside of the actual sales of your music um than with, with the actual sales so uh I've just been very, very fortunate that I lucked into a lot of things in Japan where I'm doing so many different things that allow me to stay afloat to do my music any way that I possibly want to do it. But um, when I go out on the road, like I was on tour in March and April in America and uh, doing festivals in Japan and playing, you know, touring around the world and stuff, I can see that, you know, touring requires all of those non-musical things. And some people are cut out for it. Some people are not. Um, I personally wish I didn't have to do it. But in the course of doing it, there's a lot of wonderful things to gain because you do get to meet fans and actually meet them in a nice controlled environment. And whereas I remember in the old days, sometimes, you know, you'd meet fans and they'd come up to you and 
and they i remember one dude was like smoking a cigarette when he was talking to me and his cigarette was burning me on my hand i'm like dude what the fuck you know so like <laughs> a lot different than the way it was you know you'd stand out in front of the bus to sign for fans and things like that and now that kind of thing is a little bit more organized and i really kind of hate receiving money for that but i think now nowadays people fans also understand that this is an important part of the music business nowadays it's not the bands trying to fleece their fans at all it's the bands just trying to uh stay out on the road so um those are the main differences um that i see and I, I don't look at them as a negative it's just businesses evolve music evolves things evolved and you just have to uh you know to stay in the business a long time you have to absolutely reinvent yourself all the time mm -hmm. and uh so i don't think it's a negative uh it's not a negative for me um and i i, I don't think it's hindered anybody because you just got to keep being creative what's your take deb as a you know kind of a, a new person in the in the world of professional music like what's the reality for young bands today i think for me personally i i can't comment too much on the bigger picture because again harriet is in in our infancy obviously i've been in bands for years but always on a diy level so the, recently is the first time that i'm kind of experiencing all these things that you you speak of even though we don't do that yet you can kind of you can kind of see how you're having to predict the future um in terms of being able to financially sustain yourself i think it's quite a daunting thing to be so acutely aware of um because there are a lot of parts of it that you don't enjoy like marty says even though I haven't had to personally do those things, <laughs> um, you can you you're very aware of how fragile um, your existence in music is. But with that being said, I think it's a testament to just how invested people are to want to do music and to want to carry on being creative and exist in this space because it requires such a lot of constant hard work. And even though you can become bogged down by those those things that you have to go through, I don't think for the majority of people those weights that you're put under would ever be enough to make you stop doing it. Like I can't foresee anything that would ever make me want to stop being a part of a band. I can't imagine my life not surrounding music. And even though these things that we have to do are sometimes shit and the stress that you have, behind the scenes can be quite a lot it doesn't outweigh the experience of wanting to be in a band i can't imagine doing anything else <laughs> i'd be heartbroken to have to do anything else <laughs> so i'll just do whatever it needs me to do i'll be there <laughs> you tell me i'll just do it <laughs> well um, i remember i remember when we were talking on the plane coming back from wacken and you'd been on the road for you know several weeks and you're coming to the end of the european tour and you were telling me, I hope you don't mind me sharing this, that the next day, as soon as you got home, it was like straight back into work. And obviously yeah. you're lucky because you get to work within the music industry. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like you're going to go do some job that you hate to yeah. allow yourself to make music. But I guess a lot of people in your position in bands starting out do have to work full time alongside the music to keep afloat. And then you hope that at a certain point the music takes off and then you can maybe step back from the job and focus all in on the music. But 
for sure. I think, especially with younger bands, that is, um, I would see that as one of the main tests of how, how, um, how your career is going to go. Because if you're a young band and you're obviously not earning from from your music, or you're losing <laughs> from your music, <laughs> uh, you do have to, you know, you'll be, be on the road for like a month or six weeks or whatever, and then you are literally straight back into work. It puts quite a lot of um, strain on you to be able to to sustain living in that kind of way. But again, I mean, I try not to think about it too much because personally, I feel that we're so lucky to be able to experience what we are, that how dare I like taint these experiences and with with putting such a negative spin on it. And I'm, and I'm aware that not a lot of people will be happy to hear that. But unfortunately, I don't think that there's enough power behind the industry to change that anytime soon. So I recognise that if I love this as much as what I do, I just have to continue to exist in this way. Um, and that, that's, of course, there are hard times with it. But everybody who's in a band chooses to be in a band and we choose to live in this way. And yes, it's hard, but it's not as though you're born and you're like contracted to be in a band forevermore. This is an enjoyable thing for everybody to be a part of. And I don't want to seem as though I'm dismissing the issues that are there because I definitely recognise that these are huge issues. Um, it's just that for the time being, I can't see um, a logical way out of this. It's really up to, ultimately, it's up to people higher up than bands to make that change. And I, I think without making every single person in a band come, come round to this idea of change, will be in this position for quite a lot longer. That's a horrible thing to say, really, isn't it? But uh, sometimes life sucks. You know, it can't, it can't always just be amazing times being in a band. You have to go through these hardships, unfortunately. Well, listen, Don't love um, it, it. It's what it is. <laughs> that's a good point. But like um, what you're saying um, makes me think that people think that it was any different before. Yeah, for sure. Because it really wasn't. I mean, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the end result is the same now as it ever was. Um, the people who love to play music and have their own music to make, they're going to make it. Yeah. And there's no way you can control whether anyone else is going to like it or not. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And you also can't control the luck that happens in yeah. your life. You know what I mean? All of this music business, it's just like, it's not like, chickens or milk or beef or something it's not things that people need to like eat and live off of mm -hmm. it's like we're making our lives out of just thin air <laughs> so an incredible amount of luck is involved but like the people who just would be doing it anyway no matter how hard it is because they have they enjoy what they're doing and they have something to say with their music they're just going to keep doing it anyway and that's the same now as it ever was. And um, yeah, you can't control it. I mean, if you're true to your own music and you make it or you don't make it, it probably feels kind of the same. Yeah, yeah, for you know sure. I mean? Because the success is in creating exactly your art the way you want it to be. And if you're happy with it, you know, people like make lots of records that, they love and no one buys it. 
and then they make something that they don't care about that much and that's the popular one or whatever that's but thing, to it? that person who created it they they love the one that they they represents the most even if it didn't sell you know what i'm saying oh for sure for sure absolutely i think if you love doing music all of this music industry um things that sway around in the background will even though they can be um disheartening though it, if you truly love it it will never stop you and I, that's kind of where i am with the business side of things is like it's just that's just a part of it that you have to do um and if that's what it takes and that's what it takes if we have to you know sell loads of merch in order to keep being in the studio and keep being on the road then that's what it is it's just just one of those <laughs> just to kind yes, of um shed some light from my perspective as well it's not just the music industry like media as a whole is hurting at the moment because of the internet because of the freedom of everything and you know like magazine sales are, are dipping and you know mm -hmm. radio stations are, are folding and as somebody who's been on that side of it for the last 15 years or so and seeing all those changes i've had to adapt and evolve in the same way and you know you go from being a radio host to oh we'll go and do tv for a bit and then all oh, right the tv channel's now closed as well let's go write for the magazine oh now they're no longer selling magazines right let's start a podcast and, mm -hmm. and i don't make any money off doing this but what doing this show allows me to do is stay connected and inspired and contribute in a meaningful way and then i make connections through doing this show that then lead to live event work and that's why i was out at whack and was doing dj sets and live q and a's and i think it's very much the same thing with all media um is you really sure. you have if, if you love it you will find a way to be in it uh and you won't get rich anymore <laughs> probably not but there's so much still to, to do and achieve and experience and and contribute towards and there are ways if you are willing to work and think outside the box that you can sustain a living and and get to do what you love and make a little bit of money in the process Happy that's a great point <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't come up very much because when you do the interviews you rarely get to hear what the interviewer is going through himself you know what i mean so you've said that you've had to change mediums and the mediums change and they evolve and then this is obsolete and then you've got to do a new thing. It's like the same thing Debbie was talking about. I'm talking about those of us who are going to do it are going to keep doing it no matter what, you know, we have to adapt to do to do it because we're going to wind up doing it anyway. But like, I think the adapting process is happening a lot faster in recent years than they did previously you know podcasts are, are big now but who knows what's going to happen next year you know it's a there's a lot shorter short shelf life on things that uh it's kind of like made everybody in the entire industry kind of nervous all the time <laughs> but there's got to be something good from that because everybody's like sharp people are creative and and you know making their own ways around these things and at the end of the day, the people who are really, you know, sharp about these things will be able to do, you know, make their contributions to the entertainment business the way they want. You got to stay up on this stuff. Amen. What What's your thoughts? Amen. Just I've never spoken to anyone about this yet. I'm always hesitant to because I try and avoid sort of topical areas of conversation like this. But AI uh, for you two as as musicians and songwriters and, you know, artists. 
Have you thought much about the implications of that, the future of that, the um, you know, kind of long term effects that something like that might have on songwriting? Um, yeah, I'd love to just kind of as we approach the end of the conversation, maybe get some of your thoughts on that in regards to the future of music. Yeah, I'm really interested in what Debbie has to say about that. Um, I'm I would just say this that um it's definitely coming and <laughs> it's not gonna go away. And, and so we got to find out the way to, uh, you know, not let it hurt us and uh, conversely, let it help us if it possibly can. And we know one thing that you can never actually replace the human element in making music, but a lot of listeners, when they're listening to music, that's not what they care about the human element they're just caring about this bgm background music that's in the background of their life and if it sounds good cool you know what i mean so um we just gotta figure out a way to accept it right now you know i haven't really heard anything that's too incredibly cool done <laughs> by ai but i would give it a couple of months from now and somebody's just going to blow our minds with it so and that's that's my take, but I'm really curious about Debbie's take. I think I kind of echo what you said, really. I think it's going to be around to stay. Uh, it does it does uh, concern me, but then I think about the personal attachment that people have to bands, even though people, you know, bands that stick around, people have a personal attachment to, and it would be quite hard to replicate that in the same way. You know, like you couldn't explain a story behind an AI song in the same way or you couldn't. Um, you couldn't yeah, what was the inspiration the behind truth. this? It just goes, oh, the algorithm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So when I think about that and like how invested people are in like musicians as, you know, as individuals, I don't think that can be replicated in the same way. I think it does. Uh, the maybe like the legal side of ai of ai um concerns me from a point of like replicating people's voices and things like that um that's maybe a wider issue that's not so relevant to music perhaps but well i guess that that's almost a throwback to the sampling debate in the 80s right when that first came around is it will change the certain kind of legal um framework and kind of goalposts of creating music i think i've maybe got a morbid curiosity on how the legal side of it will work with ai but i don't think it i don't think it could ever um blow up in the same way uh i might be foolish to say that but there may be like a couple of big ai bands but i i don't foresee it being um taking over bands in the same way because you'd lose so much of the culture you could never put on well, look at me, you could never, you probably can and it probably will happen, but you couldn't have a festival lineup full of AI bands. Like you might have one AI band in some capacity playing and that might be like the new, I don't know, kooky thing that year or something, but you could never replace like the ethics and the culture and the community surrounding it with AI. So maybe my heart can rest a little more. <laughs> Well, when AI starts to sweat, when it's actually sweating on stage, that's <laughs> when I'll buy into it. Yeah, yeah, I'll you know make a pack to the happen, you know, you know, some of the greatest gimmicks in the history of music 
you know, have come out of things like that. I mean, uh, especially with things like a Hatsune Miku, um, it's like a hologram. They have concerts of a hologram with a complete full orchestra of actual humans. And the singer is a hologram and it's just the coolest thing ever. So like yeah. sometimes these collaborations with, you know, using this great technology and using it in a way that's just going to be, wow, really super entertaining. That's what I'm hoping to be a part of. That's what I want to, you know, be a part of that. I don't want to be, well, everything's going to be taken over by computers and yeah, it sucks. I and think you're right. I don't want to be that negative guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think listening to you speak, speak about most, uh, like, topics in this is is really really lovely because you seem to have such a positive outcome on everything that we're speaking about it's really refreshing i i feel like uh it's always better to see the more positive side especially in music when it's something that is brings so much joy <laughs> let's not put a down downer on things <laughs> i saw a roy yeah, orbison yeah. hologram gig um a couple of years ago and it was amazing again it was the, all the band were real they were there and then they just beamed in Roy Orbison, who sung. And it was, you know, I'm never going to see Roy Orbison live. And that was as close as I could get to experiencing it. And it was a beautiful night out. And it was amazing. As you say, it's that combination of the human and the technology. That's super interesting. They played with the real band and uh, Roy Orbison was there in a hologram singing. Yeah. And it was all, you just watch it and enjoy it like a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was at the Hammersmith Apollo wow yeah um there, there was a singer here in japan um named sakai izumi who died several years ago and uh the guitarist who plays in my band plays in the same thing for her it's like a big video screen of her with the vocal tracks but the band is all live now the thing that it's uh, entertaining to watch and all that but it also creates a lot of very new and interesting performance techniques things that you have to be able to do to put on a show like that. There's all kinds of different click track cues and mm -hmm. different kind of uh, lighting angles and staging and different ways to play to make the whole experience kind of seamless. And these are things that new things to put for people to learn that hadn't existed until this technology existed. So it's creating more talent and it's creating people who are really talented in new fields of music and that's why you know ai is coming on but it's not something to be feared it's something to be look forward to the new cool things that you're probably going to wind up doing sometime soon mm -hmm. that's the best way to put a take on it i think <laughs> yeah as you say deb's refreshingly inspiringly positive and i think yeah. as 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 we do approach the end that's a really nice note to end on i'd like to just throw this out there to both of you to kind of conclude a really lovely and fun chat um kind of generic question but a fun one i think so just sort of like a riff that both of you wishes you had written by someone else and then perhaps if you had to pick your top three guitarists of all time as well don't need to be in order just one two three joint but yeah first of all a riff that is so good and you love so much you're like man i wish i'd written that one do you have one of those I'll let Debbie start to give me some time. He's to buying think. himself some time as a classic. <laughs> classic uh, the oldest trick in the book. <laughs> yeah. ah. I think, oh, God. 
Or we can do the top three guitarists first if you want to circle back to the riff. I, th- I think maybe riff wise, it would be now you've got something to die for, the main riff, and now you've got something to die for. Or ghost walking again. I think, I just think that's, that riff is so groovy. And it's maybe like a song that isn't as well um, spoken about in context of Lamb of God's massive hits, but. Ghost walking, I think that main riff is amazing. Actually, I'm going to go ghost walking. I think there I, I wish I'd written that through. Yeah. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Mark Morton. What about you, Marty? <laughs> um, wow, I'm going to come up with something obscure. And um, it's a Please. group that uh, um, I think maybe Debbie would like. Hopefully, you would like it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, a group from Japan called AA Equals. If you just mm-hmm. uh, look up AA Equals and uh, see what comes up you might find some cool stuff they have a song actually they have so many great riffs that any one of their songs i could choose i think the song that really blew my mind was called blue um with it had a great riff in it but i could be wrong pretty much any of their songs have riffs that i wish that i had written in them and um uh, aa equals is this band project made by a guy named uh Ueda Takeshi, who uh, has uh, created many of the tracks for that group, Baby Metal. Right. I'm sure you know who they are. I, I was going to so ask he, you, are they massive in Japan as well? Are they big over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big in Japan, big everywhere. Um, but a lot of their tracks are all, they're kind of like, you know, like pop music. Their songs are kind of farmed out to different track makers and different sets of musicians. It's not always the same musicians on the recordings. Um, well, the guy I was just talking about, Ueda Takeshi from AA Equals, did some of their most favorite, famous songs. And those songs really, if you break them down, they just sound like his music. He just put his own music and then Baby Metal kind of put it out. But like his stuff sounds like that. So uh, if you look, look up his band, AA Equals, you'll find some very, very brutal riffs brutal riffs that i wish that i'd written i'll check them out for sure man <laughs> love it and, and are, there, are there guitar players out there that you sort of hold in the mount rushmore highest of, of all high regards whether it's one two three a couple ah because there's so you many know, there's, so, there's <laughs> so many great guys and, and i love so many great guys and then you have to think what's the best what does best mean you know often best is the guy who fits best in your band in that situation like in my band right now there's no one who could do a better job than the guitarist who's in my band right now so is he the best um so what does best mean favorite what does that mean but anyways i'm just gonna go with the guys who inspired me when i was a kid just to make it short um johnny ramon yes and um ace freely from kiss amazing and um somewhere in the world of black sabbath and uli john roth and frank marino and those guys and probably my biggest influence on a guitar was neil giraldo from from pat benatar's band um who doesn't get nearly enough love he was just the sickest guitar player and um yeah that's more than three but those those are the the big guys for me amazing I was on the Kiss Cruise, Marty, last year. I got uh, invited out by the band to go and DJ and host some Q&As with them. And Have you played that before? Really? How was that? 
it was the best experience of my life five days at sea with kiss like and and watching them in a tiny little theater on the boat full makeup like it was obviously reduced production because you're on a ship but seeing them do all the bells and whistles like makeup show in a tiny theater on a boat it was and they're playing like just b-sides and deep cuts and it was incredible it was a dream dream experience off the top of my head i couldn't tell you but i I, they did like a bunch of stuff that they'd never played live um which all all the sort of hardcore fans around me i wouldn't claim to be as hardcore anywhere near as hardcore as them were freaking out they're like oh my god this is such and such but yeah a really cool experience man so you've never played that i I played a different cruise but not the kiss cruise you've got to get on that kiss cruise if they do another how many five days days five days at sea yeah la to mexico and then back up and yeah it was it was the one and then the sail away show that they do at the start they do in just normal clothes but they play in you know suits and just kind of like civilian attire (laughs) that was killer as well yeah really really i love kiss i could talk about kiss for days anyway um we've already talked about mark from lama god debbie are there any others for you that are just like the gods of the guitar um Kurt Ballou's riffs are always are, are really, really inspiring to me because he's the only guitarist in Converge and yet he manages to play lead lines most of the time, uh, which is really, really interesting because you don't see that too often where there's just one guitarist, but the the main riff is like a really widdly riff. Um, Mastodana also a huge influence for me in playing um and van halen as well with all the the um trem stuff of the um you know using the whammy bar is that's a massive influence on my playing is finding cool ways to use the trem um and he's obviously the king in that so those would be those would be some real big influences josh middleton from silosis as well amazing um technically amazing player his songwriting is incredible as well so a blend of all of those people, which sounds interesting, but yeah. <laughs> well, that kind of comes back to where we started, doesn't it? Of taking that cocktail of, of other styles and incorporating bits of them into your own and then finding an original voice that's unique to yourself as you go. Um, guys, this has been really, really, really good fun. And I want to thank both of you for taking the time and for rolling with my mistakes. And uh, <laughs> yeah i'm thrilled that we got to sit down and make it happen and uh yeah it's been really really enjoyable and fun so thank you to both of you and uh yeah what's coming up on the immediate diary and plans for for harriet and and for yourself marty will you be back over in the uk or europe anytime soon marty or does japan have you for the foreseeable japan has me for a while i'm going to uh, los angeles to uh, do that rock and roll fantasy camp for the first time ever with uh zach wilde and mike portnoy it's going to be the thrill full-on metal 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 mania over there <laughs> and i do um sometimes i i do things for a japan foundation and i'm doing like a, a lecture and um doing other guitar stuff and in la but for the most part i'm doing some more festivals here in japan and and I'm working on my new album. I'll, I'll be finished with all the tracking and mixing by the end of the year. So uh, hopefully we can talk about more about that next time. But uh, that's what's kind of in the pipeline right now. Yeah, by all means, come back on. Yeah, we'd love, we'd love to we'd have love you back. To. And Harriet, what's going on with Harriet, Debbie? 
yeah we've got a couple of more shows to end the year and then we're going away for a little while we're working on our um debut album uh can't say too much about that at the moment but it's it's coming <laughs> it's coming watch this space love it all right guys well listen enjoy the rest of your day have a great week and Thank you uh, so i hope much to see you both me. out there in the real yeah. world super soon thanks nice man. to see you both take have care guys thanks again bye-bye see you, Debbie.